service, Brother Howe. Thank you so much for that. I tell you what, there's nothing better than being able to just sing praises to the Lord Jesus and just to rejoice for all that he's done for us. Um, I'm excited about your message today because it was made uh, in a week that was kind of full and wrought with weariness. Uh, It's been a busy week, uh, but it's been a great week too. And I just want to begin by telling you something that I read about in a magazine called Discipleship Journal. In that magazine, uh, Jean Fleming wrote this. She said, recently, I came across something that was kind of convicting. It was convicting, and it happened just a few spaces down from me in my pew. He said, the, she said, the pastor announced that a young boy in our congregation named Crockett had just accepted the Lord Jesus as his Savior. And immediately, a little five-year-old boy jumped up into the seat of the pew, and he said, yeah, Crockett, way to go! Congratulations! Yes, you did it! Oh, man, that's so awesome! And then within a flash, his mother told him to sit down. Now, his response was totally, totally like unself-conscious. His response was full of joy and enthusiasm. He didn't care. He was rejoicing. He was so exhilarated, and he convicted the whole congregation. Because how many of you know that when that little boy accepted Jesus, all of heaven was celebrating his decision. And if all of heaven is celebrating his decision, then why not shouldn't the church celebrate his decision? In the life of any church, eternal history is made when somebody comes to Jesus. It's not just an earthly decision. It's not just a decision for this life. It is an an eternal decision. And those moments are so great. They are indeed celebrated in heaven. Friend, I want to just tell you that at Bethel, you don't ever have to fear somebody trying to put you in your place. Amen? If you want to celebrate, you celebrate. But let me tell you something we are going to do today. Today, we are going to put Jesus in his place. We're going to put Jesus in his place. Because today, John the Baptist shows us how we, as believers, can exalt Jesus to his rightful place in our lives. We're going to put Jesus in his right place. Amen. So, in John chapter 3, we're going to find that Jesus was leading his followers uh, out of the city, out into the remote areas of Judea. And he's there continuing to proclaim that the good news of salvation has come. And so, uh, at the same time, in a different area, we find that there's another man. And the same man, John the Baptist, is busy just pointing people to Jesus. Just pointing people. That's all he's doing. Is just pointing people to Jesus and exalting him as the Savior, the Messiah, the King, if you will. Just pointing people to Jesus. So, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 3. And I'm just going to read a few verses and then we'll get into it a little bit further later on. In verse 22 of John chapter 3, in verse 22 the Bible says, After these things Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John, 
talking about John the Baptist, was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and they were baptized. For John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then there arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all of them are coming to him. Now, there's some things that I want you to know about John the Baptist, but I'm going to get to that in a minute. Tell me, what does exalt mean? Say again. Lift up. Good, good. Tell me what else. What does exalt mean? Say again. Put above others. Honor. If you're exalting someone or something, what are you doing to it? Say again. One more time. Praising. Amen. Yes. Yes. What else are you doing? Encouraging. Giving honor, amen, giving praise, glorifying. The word exalt actually means raising or elevating in rank. He's the boss, I'm not, amen. I'm exalting him, uh, elevating his status, elevating his position. I want to tell you that as a Christian, you are called to exalt Jesus Christ. He's the one worthy of your honor. He's the one who is the boss. He is the one who has the higher rank than you. He has the higher position than you. He has the higher status than you. And the first way that this little passage shows us that we can exalt Jesus, and it's the best ways, and they might surprise you, the first of which is purify yourself with repentance. In verse 23, we find that John the Baptist is still faithfully doing what God told him to do years before. He's pointing people to the coming Christ. He's pointing people to the Messiah. But in Mark chapter 1, the Bible also speaks about what John was doing. And here's what it says. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching, get this, a baptism of repentance. A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now, what you need to know about that and why you need to know it's important is because the baptism of John that we're reading about here and the baptism that you've seen take place in our baptism are different. John's baptism, as the Bible said, was a baptism of change of mind, a baptism of repentance. All they were doing was changing their mind. We know that when we're baptized, Jasper knows, he was baptized recently, he knows that he's identifying with Jesus Christ in the death, burial, and glorious resurrection of Jesus. So these baptisms are different, and we need to understand that. But repentance is still important. I know that repentance is a real churchy word, amen? I mean, a lot of people don't even know what repentance really is. But repentance is important. It's a very good word and a word that we should employ in our Christian lives today. Can I tell you, turning from your sin exalts Jesus. When you quit doing what you want to do and you start doing what Jesus wants you to do, Jesus is exalted. 
He is lifted up. He is praised. He is glorified. When you stop doing what you want to do and start doing what Jesus wants you to do. That is so important. What is repentance? Well, let me tell you about repentance. Repentance says this. Lord Jesus, I want to honor you in the way that I live. Lord, I want to change. I want to change my attitude, my words, my thoughts in such a way that you are glorified, that you are magnified with every thought that I think, with every word that I say, and in every way that I speak it. I want to change. I want to change, Lord. Can I tell you, turning from your sin glorifies Jesus. But it takes a conscious act to do it. You have to live that lifestyle of repentance. Now, what does repentance do? Well, we know it exalts Jesus, but what does it do for you? Well, first of all, repentance rectifies your sins. Now, if you were like me, you didn't know what in the world does rectify mean. Well, let me give you a picture. In chemistry, I wasn't that good in chemistry, but chemistry really intrigued me. In, in chemistry, when you rectify a solution, what you do is you apply heat to it to make it change. That rectifies the solution. What I'm telling you is this. Repentance is not always easy. Changing your mind about your sin is not always easy. Stopping your direction and going God's direction is not always easy. Sometimes you got to apply the heat. And that heat comes when you bow before God on your knees in prayer and you confess that sin and you say, Lord, not only am I confessing that what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm going to change in the name of Jesus. Repentance rectifies your sins. So you, you apply that heat of confession and forgiveness comes and you, you get purified in the name of Jesus because of him forgiving you. But I want you to know this. You can't just go, Lord, I'm so sorry for what I said to her. Amen. That don't cut it. Because confession and repentance are intricately linked. You have to be willing to say, Lord, I'm sorry for talking to her that way. And I'm going to take steps, proactive steps, to stop talking to people like that. Amen? Confession and repentance are linked. So we have to be willing to turn from the sin at the same time we are asking for forgiveness. Those are very, very important concepts. But repentance also does something else. Repentance also intensifies our faith. In Romans chapter 1, or chapter 8, the Bible says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. Let me ask you this question. Does it make you feel even a little bit better that God doesn't condemn you for the sins you commit yesterday? Does that make you feel good? Y'all, it makes me feel good. I know I blew it yesterday at some point or another. I know I blew it. And I'm thankful that my God, my Jesus, my Lord, my Messiah, my King... I'm glad that he doesn't condemn me for the sins I committed yesterday. I mean, does it comfort you knowing that God just doesn't cast you out 
Because you fouled up this morning? Hey, man, I fouled up this morning. And I'm thankful that God just doesn't cast me out because I fouled up this morning. The Bible says that when you're in Christ Jesus, when you belong to him, when he's your king, when he's your Lord, when he's your savior, man, you don't want to walk according to the flesh no more. You don't want to. But if you do, amen, or should I say, when you do, <laughs> amen, and we all do, we need to know that our faith will be intensified by the forgiveness that Jesus offers us. But there's got to be confession of that sin and a willingness to turn away from that sin. So repentance rectifies our sin by applying that heat, the heat of confession, but it also intensifies our faith because we know that we can come to Jesus just as we are and ask for forgiveness. But repentance also clarifies our desires. You know, I may not know your motives, but I know somebody who does. Amen? Repentance always helps us to examine our motives. Think about this. Some people have a lot of difficulty turning away from sin. Do you agree with that? You got problems turning away from your sin? Hey, I do. Anybody else? Amen. We all got our problems turning away from sin. They're like, we are like that little boy. That little boy who got his hand stuck in the vase. Do you remember him? He got his hand stuck in his vase and he brought the vase and his arm together to his mama and daddy. And they tried cooking oil. They tried grease. They tried soap suds to try to get that vase off of his arm. But man, it was stuck. And just when the parents were getting ready to break the vase to free their son, the little boy said, would it help if I let go of this penny? That's funny as all get out, ain't it? But let me tell you something. You do it too. You do it too. It's the same way with many of us. We risk great, great blessings tomorrow. Why? Because we won't let go of those insignificant things today. Did you hear that, y'all? If, if you heard that, say amen. We miss out on blessings tomorrow because we won't let go of insignificant things like a penny today. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to that's preventing you from enjoying the great blessings God's got in store for you? Some kind of sin? Something needs to be let go of. We exalt Jesus when we purify ourselves by changing our minds about sin. But here's something else we do when uh, we're exalting Christ. We glorify Jesus with humility. Let's keep reading in verse 27 in chapter 3 of John. Uh, John answered and said, Unless a man can receive, a man can receive nothing unless it's been given to him by he from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride has the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Read that with me again, that verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. One more time. He must increase, but I must 
Friend, that's called glorifying Jesus with humility. He must increase. I must decrease. He is greater than I. Amen? Now, think about that word down for a minute. That word down is kind of a negative word. Right? Think about this. When you attach that word down to another word, it always brings that word down. Think about this. Down and out. Downhearted. Downfall. Downscale. Downhill. Man, she's a downer. But now let's look at down's opposite. What's the opposite of down? Up. That word up has many positive meanings. Add the word up to any other word and look what happens. Upscale. Up and coming. Upwardly mobile. Upper class. Upstanding. See, in our world, we have been fooled into thinking that we always got to go up. We always got to go up. It seems like when we move up, our ego gets built up. I, I think it's because we assume that the direction of greatness is up, up, up. People rise against the odds. People ascend to greatness. They ascend to fame. They ascend to power. But the words of John the Baptist go completely opposite against that grain. What does he say? He says, Jesus is the one that better increase. You have got to decrease. And by doing so, you will exalt Jesus. It seems crazy, but that's what John was saying to his followers. John was never pretending that he was anyone great. He never pretended that he was important. All he said was, guys, whatever you think I am, Jesus is greater. No matter who you think I am, Jesus is greater. Greater is he than I. He must increase, I must decrease. Now, Jesus Christ will be exalted when three things happen. One, we exalt Jesus when we humble ourselves to deify him. That is, make him as God. Jesus is deified when you acknowledge that he is God and you are not. He has rule over your life. Amen? He is God. You are not. He is greater than you. So treasure what the Son of God has to say. We have a whole book of it here. Treasure what the Son of God has to say. Cherish the love that the Son of God came to share. Why? Because we exalt Jesus when we humble ourselves to deify him, to make him as God. Amen? But we also exalt Jesus when we humble ourselves to magnify him. Friends, Jesus is greater than any man who has ever lived on this planet. No one has ever been greater. No one will ever be greater. John knew it, and because of that reason, he was never sad when his followers left him to follow Jesus. That was all John was about. All he wanted to do was to make sure that Jesus got all the attention. How about in your life? 
Are you looking for some of the recognition in your life? Or is Jesus to get all the recognition? Is he to get all the attention? You exalt him when you humble yourself to magnify him instead of yourself. But we also exalt Jesus when we humble ourselves to amplify Jesus. When you glorify Jesus with humility like John the Baptist did, then you won't want any attention for yourself. You don't want any of the kudos. You don't want any of the attaboys. You don't want any of that. All you want to do is point people to the cross. That's all you want to do in your words, in your actions, in your relationships, at work, at church, in every ministry you do. All you want to do is point people to the cross. Greater is he. He must increase. I must decrease. It's all about pointing people to Jesus. Listen to this little ditty. When you share the Lord with others, you'll see that he's on display. For the world to see him clearly, we must not be in the way. Sometimes, even preachers, they get in the way because they're wanting some of the attention for themselves. Amen? Even those in ministry, sometimes they want the attention for themselves. And by doing that, they detract from the focus that should be on Jesus. It's important for us to know that. So, to effectively exalt Christ Jesus, purify yourself by being willing to change. But also glorify Jesus with humility. Now the last one this morning is to testify truth with your witness. Friends, your entire spiritual life depends on your answer to one question. Who is Jesus Christ? If you don't know the answer to any biblical question, you make sure you know the answer to that question and you'll be fine. Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came in the flesh, died for humanity, gloriously rose again on the third day so that men and women, boys and girls, could be forgiven of their sin and be saved gloriously. In heaven with the Father. As long as you know who Jesus is, you got a testimony. If you know who Jesus is, you have a witness. So just listen to John the Baptist's testimony at the end there in verse 31. John says, He who comes from above is above all. He who speaks of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard, that is what he testifies. And no one receives his testimony. For he who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit in measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Listen to this. If you don't hear anything else I said today, listen to verse 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God still abides on him. Friend, there's three things happen when you are willing to testify truth with your witness. One, you're going to see that Christ's people are edified. When I hear John testify about the Son of God, I can't speak for you, but I'm encouraged. 
I'm reminded that Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, is the Son of God Almighty. I'm encouraged by that. I pray that when I preach, and I preach the gospel truth, I pray that you are encouraged, that you walk out of this room better and, and, and built up more than you were when you came in. It's all about the Word of God. But I also want you to know this. By telling somebody what you know, by telling somebody what Jesus did in your life, you very well may encourage them to come to Christ and have this eternal relationship with God. If you're just willing to share the word that you know, you'll encourage Christ's people. But you will also exemplify Christ's character. Making this word, amen, listen here. Making this word, making this word come alive in your life. Being a living, breathing, walking, talking Bible ought to be your number one goal. Did y'all hear that? Making this word come alive in your life ought to be your number one goal. When you allow the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, the goodness of God, the patience of God, the faithfulness of God, the gentleness of God, the self-control of God to overflow out of your life into the life of somebody else, you have demonstrated the character of Christ himself. Is that what you're doing? Are you exemplifying the character of Jesus Christ in all your relationships. When that happens, people are encouraged. When that happens, friend, you are showing them an example of Christ-like character. But finally, let me show you what else will happen. What will happen if you testify the truth with your witness. You will personify Christ's life. We are the body of Jesus Christ. That is by his own words. We are the body of Christ. We are Jesus' eyes with which to see need. We are his hands to help the hurting. We are his feet to go to other places and share the good news. We are his voice to speak words of encouragement and words of salvation into other people's lives. We are his heart to love people. We are his very soul of compassion for lost sinners. We are the body of Christ. And if you're not using your life, then the body of Christ is hindered. I read where a Christian's life should stand out as different. People ought to look at you and say, man, she's different. And I don't mean like cookie different, because some of y'all are, but I'm talking about like different, different, right? Not cookie different. I mean, we ought to be like zebras among horses. They're different, right? They kind of look the same, but they're different. But when people can't distinguish you and I from the world, then we're a lot like an albino zebra. An albino zebra. 
See, an albino zebra really is a zebra. An albino zebra has parents that were really zebras. That albino zebra really knows that it's a zebra. But anyone from the outside who looks at that albino zebra says, he ain't no different than the horse. All he is is a white horse. Jesus said, let your light so shine. Let it so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Be different. Be different. That's what the life of the Christian is all about. Exalting the Lord by the lives we live. Is that what's happening in your life? Are you exalting Jesus by the life you live? You know, John's whole focus in his gospel was on this personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we all need. He talked about it being a living relationship that begins when we're born again. He also described it as being a loving relationship between the bride and the, and the bridegroom. But he also says it's a learning relationship. It's a growing relationship where our faithful witness ought to be testifying to the glory of God. How's your witness? Are you a living, breathing, walking, talking witness for Christ Jesus? Do you stand out as different? You see, Jesus gave an awful lot to allow us to be that kind of witness. It cost him a lot, and we must never forget the cost of those blessings. See, for us to be born into God's family, Jesus had to die. For us to enter into this loving relationship with God, friend, Jesus had to endure the hatred and condemnation of man. For us to be saved, Jesus had to be lifted up on a cross to die an absolutely brutal death. May we never take that for granted. When your feet hit the floor in the morning, I pray the first thing you remember is what Jesus did for you. And that he is worthy to be exalted by the life you live. Once again, verse 36 sets before us the greatest choice that the human being has. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, for the wrath of God abides on him. What does that mean, Bill? What does that mean? That means the wrath of God the final judgment of God still rests on you if you don't believe in the Son. Have you made that choice? Let me tell you what. God wants you to make the right choice. He wants you to choose Jesus. He wants you to choose His way for living. So the choice is yours. Have you made the right choice? And let me just add, friend, to put off the choice 
the same maybe next Sunday is really just to accept the fate of a lost sinner. Indecision is a fatal decision. Have you made your decision for the Lord? Can the world see it? Or are you just an albino zebra? Uh, 